0: Now that of course kids need guidance, right? There are some facts. Don't touch that hot stove. You're gonna get burned. Well, I could have just let the kid find out for himself, and that's nature, right? But I'm doing my role as a parent to guide that person, that little person not to touch that hot stove because I don't want to I don't want them to get burned. Are they gonna listen? A lot of times they're not. And that's where
1: a mixture there, right? You you did that you did the nurturing part. You told them do not touch that, that's hot, but they are probably going to do it anyways just to learn. And then that's where the nature part comes in.
0: Yeah. It, it also reinforces the nurture though. Yeah. Right. When Because when they touch that hot stove, they're like, my dad told me not to do that. So maybe I should listen to him a little more often, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have to have, you have to have that nature for that person to learn for themselves. But you also want to make sure that you instill the correct kind of guidance as much as possible. We're all just shooting craps here you know, working with kids. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Hey, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am confident that you all out there are enjoying the additions to the CEP network, including raised on the radio featuring Patrick Blair and our very own Colt Bracato, And now crush your cast featuring our good friend, Joe Burrow. Colt and I are very fortunate and excited to welcome Joe as he brings us ordinary people with inspired lives to the network. Be sure to stay tuned to these two shows, as well as the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast, and be on the lookout for more great content coming straight to your ear holes via the CEP network. Now, for this episode, Colt and I bring you yet another riveting chat amongst ourselves, where we discuss the Netflix limited series based on the Waco event. Hmm, anybody remember that? Then we gently cascade into a discussion regarding nature versus nurture. So without further introduction, here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me as always is my good friend Colt. Well, hello. Hi, how's it going? Oh, it's going. Good, good.
1: I'm excited to to record again.
0: Again, yes. And I, I, I think it's safe to say that we're doing back-to-back episodes I think that's okay yeah to say that for our recording session today we're getting in we've got a lot of great topics to bring to the itching ears of the cerebral audience and so you know we want to get this this information out because why not right Right. it's super super important everybody wants to hear what we have to say right
1: you're way too full of yourself
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was including you in that it wasn't just myself it was you're us you're way too full of us Ooh, now that sounds a little
1: too intimate. Let's back (laughs) that up. (laughs) We can edit that out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're probably better. People might start to talk. But uh, at any rate, it is always good to speak with you on these topics. I have a lot of fun doing so, unpacking these subjects that I find riveting, and hopefully others do as well. But, uh, you know, one riveting conversation that we had before we started recording was the fact that you've been watching the Waco Mini series, limited series, however you want to term that, yes. on Netflix. Yes. What are you, What are you getting from the whole Waco thing right now? Because you binge watched the whole thing, right? I did. You and the wife. I did. Yeah. And and so, give me your opinions. Uh, unpack uh, unpack that for me a little bit, and uh, tell me what you got from watching that uh, Waco series.
1: This this conversation is going to be more interesting when I get your your um, input on it, also because you. You said you watched it. You watched the whole thing happen in in real time when it happened.
0: Right. Via the news. I wasn't there. Well, but yeah,
1: Of course. TV, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I don't. I. This is another one of those shows where I'm not 100% sure on how I should take it because it's a show. And it's got the Hollywood backing behind it. Or, well, mm-hmm. Netflix backing behind
0: it. Same diff nowadays.
1: Yeah, the show is extremely well done. I loved how I loved how they put it all together and everything. The problem is and is that there's a lot of facts and a lot of things that happened that are buried that we don't know 100% if they are true and if any fault was on the government and the a, uh, ATF we're not going to know a lot of probably what those things were. Like things that they did that I mean they I don't want to give too much of the show away, even though it's something that people can research, because I don't know I don't know exactly what direction the show took compared to exactly what happened in real life. So I, I don't want to give too much away. All all I'm saying is that there's a lot of things that they showed in the show where it could have been the people in Waco or it could have been the uh, FBI or ATF who instigated something to happen before it happened. So we don't right. know whose fault it is that one thing happened in this scene versus one thing happening in this scene because, like I said, Hollywood's backing it on top of if real things did happen, that it was the government's fault, then a lot of those things are probably buried and we would probably never know
0: mm-hmm. because
1: we weren't actually there. And the yeah. coverage that we do have was through the media and they're not going to have every answer either. So.
0: Yeah. And so there's going to be some spoiler alerts in this episode uh, of Waco uh, on our episode <laughs> discussing Waco. <laughs> if you haven't watched yet and you don't know what happened, you may want to check into that before you listen to this episode. I don't know. Maybe not. It's something it's a historical fact, you know, and so either you were there around there, you might have heard about it. You could look on the Internet. Because you can believe everything that's on the internet, of course. So, um, anyway, just just so you know, if if you're waiting to watch the show, there's probably going to be some spoiler alerts here. But so there's there's a lot of questions here, a lot of uh, unpacking of uh, whose fault it was, uh, who's to blame, um, what's the the parameters of the federal government in a situation like this, uh, how much overreach was actually perpetrated by the government but also I think it's important to note that there were in the Waco series that you watch there are some eyewitness accounts too from people who were in the cult yes. if, if you will yes that escaped from that cult they left and, and so they were able to give a lot of inside information about what was going on and that's always that's always been the case that that's not a recent thing of course, this happened. What was the years, by the way? I, I don't recall. It was early '90s. I don't remember. Yeah. But the um, so uh, not not everything was just in the series was just like the media's take on it or the ATF, FBI. Not it wasn't just their take on the on the whole situation. It was a lot of different eyewitness accounts that added to that story to to develop that series.
1: Yeah. The, so, okay. So the only thing. I understand that it's eyewitness accounts on a lot of things, but there's also a lot of things in the show that those eyewitnesses based off of the show, they were not included in certain scenarios. So I don't see how that, so that eyewitness account could not have came from them because they weren't actually there, especially towards the end of the show. There's a few Uh, things that happened where that those eyewitnesses that actually lived were not
0: in those scenarios. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to kind of tell the story a bit, you had this compound in Waco, Texas, and this was in 93, by the way, 1993, when it it all hit the fan, a bunch of people in this cult under the, 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 the cult name of the Branch Davidians. Mm -hmm. And so you had a guy named David Koresh, who was uh, a preacher. He was the leader of this said cult, and he had a lot of interesting things going on in this compound some of those things like any cult he was very controlling over everything he was controlling he was he was preaching so to speak out of the bible as far as i know it was a regular bible that you know any kind of you know king james version or whatever the case may be it was but but he was preaching out of out of the bible and especially over time though his message became more and more about him to where at some point he was actually the um, he was actually the Messiah. He he was the culmination of, of the second coming of Christ, basically. And so, when people cult leaders, it never fails. They always get the the power trip. And this happens in in all forms of religion to some degree or another. The person who is in power, like like a political power, it does the same thing. Power corrupts. You've always heard that term. And so he became the focal point of everything that happened in that compound, including having multiple, you know, quote unquote wives, which, you know, not necessarily legally. They didn't go to the courthouse and get married.
1: I want to get into that topic here in a minute, too, just so you know.
0: Okay. You'll have to remind me. (laughs) I'm
1: going to try to remember.
0: He had he had multiple wives. He was impregnating them, you know, having having babies all over the place, building his own little his society within the compound. Um, So some of the nefariousness is that he would manipulate people, uh, couples, husband and wife, couples who were living in the compound, who were following his message. He would manipulate them to where the wife of the husband would, would have to kind of quote unquote, marry David Koresh. He was also their wife, or he would actually become their wife and have babies and so on and so forth. And so obviously the cult in and of itself is, it's weird. It always it always takes a weird turn. I mean, a lot of people say that you know Christianity in and of itself is a cult, or you know the branches of Christianity are cults. You know, some people say Mormonism is a cult, and there's arguments for those things if you look at the definition of what a cult is. right? But I think cults in, in these definitions that, that we're talking about with Waco, with the Branch Davidians, like with Jim Jones, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's the one that took everybody down to, uh, I want to say, uh, Guyana. It was like Joan, um,
1: It's about Jonestown, Jonestown
0: right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And everybody drank the Kool-Aid, right? Mm-hmm. And they all committed mass suicide because the – his, of his paranoia, but also, you know, in, in reality, the, the government was coming to to shut them down.
1: And see that when when I first started watching this show, that's what it reminded me of a lot. I did I don't know. I just know the general story around Jonestown. I don't know. I, I haven't done a whole lot of research on it or anything, but they do make mention in the show to Jonestown because they when they're talking on the phone to David Quirsch, uh, they're saying that they feel like this is going to be another Jonestown. Yes, and as soon as I heard that, I was like, "Oh crap!" So then I started Googling it, and I and I literally typed in "Don't drink the Kool Aid" because I knew that's what yes. that was from, and that's what brought brought it to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so another funky cult that is was in um, our more modern times was the Heaven's Gate cult, with the people who all wore the the same tennis shoes. I think they were Nikes by a guy named Marshall Applewhite. And they were waiting for, it was had something to do with the comet that was coming over. He had everyone convinced that the comet was going to pick them up and take them off of this this sinful earth and they were all going to catch around on that comet and go to another planet. And it was it was way out there, right? Wow. But they but they all also committed mass suicide. So anytime you have a cult like that, it really people have an inclination to follow other people. Not everybody, but when you find people who are susceptible to to following to following a leader, then a cult leader will you know they, they will take advantage of that and cause people to do all kinds of crazy things so that's that's the that's the main component of what waco was in the first place it was a, a guy who lost his jibs maybe he never had jibs i don't know but he definitely it it devolved into a a really crazy twisted form of a, a religion basically.
1: Yeah, it was, it, the the show puts a light on that it, kind of that the government was at fault for most of it and makes you try, tries to make you feel bad about the people that were inside even right. though they were doing a lot of illegal things and stuff but they still make, they, they still shine a light on the fact that, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's weird because are most cults? I don't know if you know this or not, but are most cults set up that way where you can come and go as you want? You, I mean, it's not just you are stuck in this. I mean, if you want to leave and go away, you can go away at any at any time. That's 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 on you. Is that how most cults run, or is it you're when you're in you're stuck like the mafia?
0: <laughs> well, the the whole unlocked door thing—you can go anytime you want it is and we could we could relate this to christian scientology too the christian scientists quote unquote religion cult whatever you want to call that right they they don't necessarily for the most part confine you like behind a locked door within a building right they confine you psychologically they they separate you from your family from any kind of support structure outside of that cult so that psychologically you are trapped and it's very difficult for people to break away from that. It's very difficult for people to leave that, the comfort of whatever it is they found in that cult because they've been so manipulated that they feel like they have to have that, that cult. So they're trapped more mentally than they are any, any time, um, actually physically trapped. Right. And so that's, that's the nature of a cult though. That's, that's what they do is brainwashing. They, they brainwash you to, and they do it by practice. It was, who was it that, I can't remember. I'm getting my cults mixed up now, (laughs) but one of there's, yeah, there's so many of them, but one of them, they would not eat meat because there's science behind the fact that if you eat meat, you're more likely to make your own decisions. And so they would, they would kind of have a malnutrition effect. I, I think maybe it was lack of protein in general. I don't remember. So, but they would only eat vegetarian meals. That made them more susceptible to following. But whatever it is, you can go back to Charlie Manson and his uh, family that he had out there in California before they murdered the, you know, the the LaBiancas and Sharon Tate and all that. He controlled them at every turn. Most of them didn't have families. They were on the they were on the road. They were hippies. They were hitchhiked, hitchhiking away from their families already. He took those who were already susceptible to want to follow someone who needed a leader who needed almost like a father figure in some respects, he took them under his wing and he manipulated their minds. Right. And of course he used LSD in the process too. <laughs> and, and that helps. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's a good way to, it's a good way to get into someone's mental, but you take those people and you show them something, you show them that they're a part of something. They're part of something bigger. They're part of this family. And it, it over time, you also, contrast that versus the rest of the world versus the their family of origin versus anything else they come from versus society in general and we're your family now this is the right way to go this is the thing that you should do and so they've taken components of any other faction out there whether it be religious or any organization or something like that and they woo you in you belong to us now and of course it also just like clockwork, you belong to me now. Whoever that leader is becomes so power hungry that it always turns back to I am your God, basically. Now yeah, the, I it's 100%. not
1: a it's not a this is about us anymore. It's about this is about me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. But it takes so, time to get to that point.
0: It does. There's a lot of training. AKA brainwashing that mm-hmm. one has to do in order to, to get people to that point. But you find the ones who are most susceptible anyway. That That's another key point. You always find the ones who are looking someone who's, who's sound of mind, who has a strong, a strong will. Usually those people aren't the ones who fall into a cult. It's usually the, the sheeple, mm-hmm. the sheepish ones, you know, but you, you said you had a, a comment on marriage. I actually remembered oh, uh, the yeah. marriage at <laughs> Waco. What was that?
1: Okay. It's on polygamy in general. Me and my wife were having a conversation about this last night. So, polygamy is illegal. It's illegal to have more than one wife. Correct. Okay. And I want to start out by saying that I am not saying that I agree with anything. any questions that I'm getting ready to ask. I just want... I'm just trying to have a general conversation about it. Uh Uh-huh. So, polygamy is illegal, but you can only legally get married to one person, Right? Because to, to be on paper, to say, I have a marriage certificate and I am married to this one person, but it's illegal to be married to more than one person, but you can't legally be married to more than one person. Is this correct? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So how can you legally, how can you be doing something illegal if you're not legally married to more than one person?
0: Well, I don't, I don't think you are. I think there are plenty of people out there who are quote unquote married. To multiple people. As you can see on Tiger King, he was married to two dudes at the same time. (laughs) And they even had a a ceremony, right? But there was nothing legal about that. Right. Right. You can't – if you are quote-unquote married to someone just by ceremony, just by your own right Mm -hmm. per se – then there's legality doesn't come fall into play in that. It's just like you're living with that person as far as the, the eyes of the law is concerned, right? Okay. So there is no legality either way or illegality in saying that you're married to multiple people. Legally, you can only be, be married to one.
1: Okay. But polygamy would be being married more than one person, correct?
0: Yes. But not legally.
1: See that do you understand where where the confusion is? It's like it, it, polygamy is illegal, which means that you're married to more than one person, but you can't legally be married to more than one person, so how could it be legal?
0: It's not legal. It it's not a legal it's not a legal matter. Like right now me and my wife, okay, we're married.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I we could we could get some some lady out there and I could say, "Okay, well, I'm going to marry you too." And maybe we even have a little ceremony together, but we're not going to go to the courthouse and sign papers that we're married because that's illegal. Can't right. do that. Uh-huh. Signing papers legally, trying to be legally, to marry more than one person is illegal. You can't do that. But saying that you're married to someone, it doesn't matter. The, the In the eyes of the law, you're not.
1: Okay, so, it's, what, it's not, so, so what you're saying is that in the case of Waco, he was living in this place, m- technically only married to one of those women, but only – I mean, married by ceremony, I guess, to a lot of other women in there, he was not committing a crime for polygamy. That's correct. Okay. I guess that makes sense then.
0: Okay. I, I, and, and, and this is based on my knowledge, but it just, it just stands to reason. The government, I mean, they're going to tell you what to do when it comes to paper, but I could live with, you know, I could have a harem, you know, not that I could have a harem, but let's <laughs> say, you know, I probably could. Anyway, uh, I could have a harem living in my house and say they're all my wives. But I'm not married to any of them. But I can say I'm married to them to to you. Right. It's not gonna make a difference. I can't, you know, like put them on my we don't have a marriage certificate. I can't add them probably to my insurance. You know, I don't think. I think you gotta legally be married to do that. So all the legal all the legal constraints and the legal benefits that come with being married to someone legally, that is where you fall off the map. You can't have those things because it's not a legal marriage. Gotcha. Hold on one second. Bobby, shut the door. Hey, shut my Okay, that again for you in a minute. Yeah, so anyway, um, and I, I don't know, I haven't watched all of Waco, and so I don't have enough of all of that information to answer this question. Was the fact that he was, quote unquote, married to all those people, was that even on the radar of the federal government when they were going in? I don't think that was even a, a, an issue, was it?
1: I don't remember 100%. I just know okay. that, so like, there's a certain part in the show where they all, like a bunch of the guys that are in there congregate and they're like, what is our best route to take? What What's the best way to get out of here? And if we do surrender, what do they have us on? And one of those things was that David Coerche was married to a 14-year-old. Okay. So he was having sex with a 14-year-old, which means that she w- was statutory rape. That's definitely a no no, right. So what they ended up doing was have having another guy who was in there marry that fourteen year old legally, so then it offset him being married to her and having sex with her and whatever all, all that that's that was the scenario, but interesting i wanted I wanted to say that polygamy was one of the things that they said that they would have him on, but I don't know that for I don't remember a hundred percent
0: okay so. Like Ruby Ridge, which they also alluded to in Waco, I believe. Yeah, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Because that happened just a short time before. Ruby Ridge was um, up in northern Idaho, and I don't remember all the names, so forgive me. But the federal government raided these these people's property, basically the where where they were staying, because of the uh, firearms. They were breaking firearms rules as far as amassing of uh, uh, guns. And so, and they were also like white separatists, I believe, up in Ruby Ridge, things like that. Waco, as far as the official report goes, I'm I'm pretty sure that that was officially why the ATF specifically um, was able to go in there, according to you know their their logic and their their rules, was because they were amassing weapons, and you can't amass weapons because then you become a, an unofficial militia or whatever. And the government doesn't like that because it threatens them. Right. And so I, I'm pretty sure that that was the main reason. But I know there were also reports of like abuse, child abuse, like you said, with the 14 year old, things like that from people who had left the branch Davidians. They were also coming out and saying, hey, this is a you know, he's doing some wicked stuff in here. And so they were just kind of uh, tattling on, on David Koresh and what he had going on there. So right. I, I think one of the, one of the biggest questions is for all this. Did the government overstep? Um, Not just did they overstep as far as their interpretation of the laws with the firearms and things like that, but also, of course, did they overstep in their approach to coming in with tanks and, you know, basically shooting the place up or at least instigating a a standoff that ended in a shootout and then the the burning of the, the compound. Should the government have taken a different route? Your thoughts.
1: For what they were actually trying to go in to do was because of firearms. They thought they were modifying firearms. For it to have gotten as big as it did, and then you see you end up with 76 people dying. I'm pretty sure it was 76 people dying because of that is ridiculous. And the fact that they had an FBI informant who went in, who got inside, looked around and never found guns in the entire place. And then this all still happened, even uh. though they had no proof that there were guns in the place. The only proof, the only time that they got proof was when they actually raided the entire house and then they got fired. You know, they got shot back at inside okay. the house.
0: The, the, so Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask. So it wasn't actually the amassing of firearms in this case. It was the modification of firearms. I pretty like, say, sure sh- shaving down a fire fire pin, um, the firing pin in a weapon to make it automatic weapon. Yes. Things like that. Yes. Probably uh, yes. altering clips and things like that to hold more ammunition.
1: Yes. the the other The other thing I really liked about the show is that a big part of the storyline was the negotiator between the F or between the ATF and uh, David Coerche and Stephen whatever his last name was that's in the show. Okay. Because if this is really how it works for a negotiator, that is the worst job in the history of ever because things are going on like through the media that the negotiator doesn't even know about. And the negotiator was actually learning things while on the phone with David Coerche. So, the things that would happen, like, say, um, the the leader of the ATF, I can't think of what the, the uh, position would be called. Anyways, he goes on TV, he says these certain things that is bad against David Coerche and all these people. The negotiator doesn't hear any of this. Then all of a sudden, the negotiator gets a call. From inside the house, from David coerce or so from somebody else, screaming and yelling about these things, and that's when he's finding out about it. So now he's got to talk him down again and try to stay somewhere in between what his bosses are doing and what they're doing inside the house, and not knowing what's happening on either side. Mm. And basically, be th- being thrown under the bus on a lot of stuff too. So it's yeah, I- if. If how they portrayed it, exactly how it went, I feel I can't believe the guy lasted as long as he did.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think the main point that I, I took away from, e- even back in the day, like I said, I was watching the as it un, unfolded in the news. I was still pretty young. I guess 93, I was uh, 15. Is that right? 14, 15, something like that. Um, there was a sense that the the government really their approach was way, it was way too, uh, it was an overstep, right? I mean, you come in with tanks. These people, they were surrounded out in the middle of BFE out in West Texas. I mean, they weren't, if there were people that were being harmed in the Waco compound, I, I understand needing to go in there and getting those people out. But it escalated because at the beginning, before the actual, all the, Uh, before it really hit the fan there were there was a a shootout that happened and a number of atf agents got killed a number of branch davidians there was a ceasefire and then the the government just couldn't leave it alone after that that initial shootout really sparked uh i guess the the whole circumstance to where there was no turning back for either side um had the government handled it differently and the government mishandled Ruby Ridge too. It's like there was this push against anyone who they felt threatened by. At least this is my sense. And and the government really, it was their It was the beginning of government overreach that we know today, right? They just, if if you don't do what we say, we're going to come in with tanks and we're going to kill people to prove our point, to make sure that you're doing what we say to do and not, just what you want to do right so i i think the government overreach is obvious was there was there things going on in that compound that was wicked i'm sure i'm sure there was a lot of nefarious activity going on um i'm sure david koresh should have been uh arrested and jailed for his crimes uh if in fact the alleged crimes you know if in fact he was doing those things which i just assume that he probably was there was enough eyewitnesses who came out of there uh, ex-Branch Davidian members who came out of there and was describing the things that were going on in there but it, it's just a it's just a stark reminder though uh, I could just remember that that building burning on the news and those tanks that were just you know knocking down the walls and there's a shootout uh there's a one scene of the shootout where the I believe it was an FBI it might have been ATF guy was on top of the one of the roofs and there's a window over here and uh, the, the guy got shot you know it's just they were showing this on the news mm-hmm. and i remember i remember it pretty vividly and it just seemed like wow you know this is what the government will do if you don't fall in line regardless if you're breaking laws or not because there were i mean i, th- I think 20 something kids got killed when that all hit the fan and it was it's significant right it was a significant point in history that it just shows you how things can escalate between people and and the government and you better do what they say they're coming to get you that's what i took from it
1: yeah there were there were two two the two sentences in the entire show that i that were major takeaways for me was hang on one second. okay uh so the, the two sentences that were major takeaways for me in the show was one between the negotiator and i still can't think of the position that the guy would be in but the leader of the ATF that's running everything Mm-hmm. Was when he decided that they were going to put the speakers and the spotlights outside of wake outside of the building and at night and play like it was a mental, uh, what's the word? The when you're messing with people's heads and stuff. a mind game. No, like they they. Put out speakers and uh, big old speakers and spotlights and stuff outside to uh, keep them up during the night and things like that. Yeah. Anyways, he said uh, when the negotiator heard that that's what they were going to be doing, he's like, so let me get this straight. You're going to take somebody who we know is not stable. You're going to try to turn him crazy thinking that he's going to be more negotiable and more, you know, is going to want to help us. Right. It's like, where, where, how does that make sense anywhere? So that was, that to me made a lot of sense. I mean, in the first place. But the second thing was it, um, they, they play some clips of a guy on the radio who's doing all the radio from that area. And it's at the, it's at the the end of the show. And he says that, you know, something we haven't mentioned yet was at the very end of the show, the way, the reason that most of these people died was because they put, this tear gas into the, they, they basically rammed their tanks into the building, into the house mm-hmm. and p- just sprayed tear gas into this place. And the, something that the guy said was they went into this, ramming these tanks into this house, putting all this tear gas in there. And he named like six or seven other instances where they've done this. And the place called on fire. And they had no plan on if it caught on fire. Like this is the FBI and the ATF. This whole scenario has happened before multiple, multiple times. And they still did it with no plan on what they would do if the place caught on fire. Right. They just expected, okay, we're going to spray some tear gas in there. Their eyes are going to burn and they're going to walk out.
0: Right. Yeah. Another great point. And I don't know, did they not plan for it or did they just not care? Were they just so, you know, focused that they didn't? Maybe they talked about that scenario and it just didn't matter to them, you know, versus, well, we didn't think about that. Right. Think about the place catching on fire. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. You've got two sides of the same story. Um, and, and who knows? It, it's hard to come to a determination about what really happened, about why things really happened. I mean, we know what happened, but. The, the ifs and buts and whys, sometimes hard to, to narrow down. One of the main things that I feel bad about in any situation like that are the kids, not just the ones that of course died, that's terrible, but also the ones who were living in those circumstances, not just wake up in any circumstance because a child is, like a blank slate in in a lot of, in a lot of senses. We we know now that children aren't just blank slates. They have their own proclivities and their, their own styles of personality and things like that from a very young age, but they're still in the the developing years. It's when they're susceptible to training, they're learning, their brains are developing, they're growing. And, you know, a parent's role is helping to develop that child's mindset, right? And so kids in that situation, as they grow up, I would assume they got to be pretty messed up, you know, and it's not just in a cult. There's a lot of ways that, that parents can can really attribute to both the positive and negative mindsets that kids have. Even good parents sometimes attribute to negative mindsets just by proxy of maybe um, inst- instilling too much hard work or, or not being, not congratulating a child enough or too much, right, both sides of any spectrum. Um, it's hard to know exactly where, you know, we don't come with a guidebook, of course, and it's hard for a parent to know exactly what to do with that that child. But I think it's safe to say that injecting them into a situation like Waco, Texas, uh, like the the Branch Davidians, that's definitely a big no no. And, and there were children at, at Jonestown too. I mean, there were children. There were children at Ruby Ridge. There's, children are almost always involved in the in these big ordeals, and it's it's fascinating, but it's also very sad about the things that children succumb to when being reared by their parents in less than favorable situations.
1: Yeah. And you know, when it comes to a situation like Waco, ki- the kids aren't given the opportunity to learn things their own way. They're, they're not given right. the opportunity to be their own person because they're grown, they're raised to, this is the way things are. This is the, what you, we do in the, in these times or, you know, whatever. So yeah, I, I get, I get that. Makes complete sense, honestly. And yeah. But but that's also, I mean, that's just your general person. I mean, that could be me or you being a parent. It's it's the same concept. It depends on how you raise your kid. You mm-hmm. know, do do you let do you tell them that these are the facts? This is exactly how you do things, or do you raise them to, you know, to be que- to question things? Do you raise them to, you know, have their own thought processes and things like that, or is are things only done one way?
0: Right, and it comes to the nature versus nurture question. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot. Nature gives us the the fundamental elements of who that person is. Right, they, they are a free spirited person, in my belief, uh, from uh, probably basically from birth. And, and you have to kind of, as a parent, or even as a coach or a teacher, uh, you have to help shape that person based on those original ingredients. Because you're not able to alter those ingredients, especially not until the child is of age, is, is at an age where they can really start to critically think, you know, in early, early adolescence, when they can really start to use critical thinking skills to truly make decisions for themselves based on, uh, you know, all the facts or, or all the variables, right? They can make an informed decision based off of their environment, but they do that by, by way of their, their nature as it stands. You know, and so when you put someone, a child, in an all-encompassing worldview, right? Like this is how it is. This is the way that you have to be. You got to get in line. Um, it really, it, it what we're doing is we're trying to push back and and, and really hamper nature in its in its truest form uh, as as just being kind of left in order to grow to evolve as that as that little person does now that of course kids need guidance right there are some facts don't touch that hot stove you're going to get burned well i could have just let the kid find out for himself and that's nature right but i'm doing my role as a parent to guide that person that little person not to touch that hot stove because i don't want to i don't want them to get burned are they going to listen a lot of times they're not that's where but the, they're that's, gonna,
1: they're a mixture there right you you did that you did the nurturing part you told them do not touch that that's hot but they are probably going to do it anyways just to learn and then that's where the nature part comes in
0: yeah it it also reinforces the nurture though yeah right when cuz when they touch that hot stove they're like my dad told me not to do that so maybe I should listen to him a little more often you know mm-hmm. so you have to have you have to have that nature for that person to learn for themselves but you also want to make sure that you instill the correct kind of guidance as much as possible. We're all just shooting craps here, you know, working with kids. But you want to try to instill in them the sense that, look, I'm doing this for your own good. This isn't just I don't want the stove to burn you, to be hot. I'm not looking for you to be hurt. I just know that's how it is. And if you listen to me, I'll tell you some more stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I'll tell you that I'll tell you that I'll tell you that drugs are bad. Okay. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Uh, You know, I'll tell you that, you know, stay out of dark alleys at night. You know, I'll tell you these things, not because I'm trying to hinder your nature, because I'm actually trying to help you to to have the best nature possible, right? So the whole nature versus nurture thing, in my opinion, there is no either or. This isn't a zero-sum game. Nature and nurture work hand in hand. They have to, you know. If you have someone who's a good nurturer they take that the nature of that child, and they help it to grow and develop the best possible – into the best person that they can be, even though all parents make mistakes. Right. So uh, it's just – it's interesting. And you could – I mean we could look at a lot of different – religion in general, raising a kid up under a certain kind of religion. You know, a Muslim a Muslim didn't ask to be born into a Muslim family. You know, that that child didn't ask to be there. A Christian didn't ask to be born into a Christian family. Uh, Buddhist, you know, whatever. A Branch Davidian at at, at that time, you know, back before everything went down, that child didn't ask to be born in that environment. But that's – and that's what – that's one of the things that sucks is because – you get you get children born into a bad situation. There's nothing that child can do about it because they didn't ask to be there. You know, we didn't ask to be born as white males in America, uh, but here we are. You know, we could have been born as, you know, Chinese females in China. It wasn't our choice. We weren't given that option. Right. And so we have to take the nature that we're given and try to shape it as much as possible. I agree with that. So uh, part of that, I think, is also directing a child away from extremes. I, I think that's, that's one of the most important things, and that's obviously something that a, a kid in a cult wasn't given the, uh, the benefit of. But when you, when you live in extremes, especially when you're raising a child, you're not giving that child that, the, the, the full use of critical thinking skills that they're going to develop because you can't live life all in the pleasure. And our brains, the way that we're evolved, we're evolved to stay away from pain, and we want to gravitate towards things that cause pleasure. But that, that causes problems, right? So let's say sugar. Massive amounts of sugar gives me pleasure. Well, I think we all know by now that that's not a good idea, right? It's going to cause you everything from you know dental problems to metabolic problems to you, know, you name it. Can't do sugar. Not all the time. You have it in small spurts. On the other hand, you, you don't want to go all to you know only eating whatever, tofu, which I know a lot of people do um, in adulthood, but I don't believe you should do that for your children either. You need to give them a wide variety and stay away from the extremes. Like in Freudian psychology, you have what's known as the id. You have the id, the ego, and the superego. Well, the id is all about the pleasure principle. It stays away from pain and is driven towards self-satisfaction. That could be sex. It could be you know food, whatever causes the, the brain to produce all those wonderful chemicals that it does in order to make us feel good. The, it drives you toward that. But even outside of Freudian psychology, that's just kind of the way that we work, just just by nature of, of our brains. Whether you call it evolution or whatever, the mechanics of our brain, we try to do what is most benefit or the, what gives us the most pleasure, especially instantly. We we look for instant gratification. Right. But nowadays we know that most people That especially that you and I talk to they, they steer away from that because let's think about this things like working out. And this, I was listening to Sam Harris podcast not too long ago. Um, and and they were talking about this. There are things that cause instant gratification. I believe it was Sam Harris. Anyway, there were things that there, there are things that cause instant gratification. And most of the time, those things are the things that aren't really that good for us. Um, with a lot of things, drugs, alcohol, um, you know, whatever, uh, sugar. But the things that you don't get an immediate result from, but you get a result in the long term, those are the things that are actually good for you in the long term, such as, you know, working out, eating healthy, right? Like like today, eating a salad might not be as tantalizing as eating a pizza. But in the long run, that salad's gonna do me much more benefit than that pizza will. And so the things we get instant gratification from, we have to be careful with. As opposed to the things that that kind of cause us more discomfort, like your soreness from st- starting at the gym again, right. it's causing you discomfort right now. You'd rather not be all sore, but in the long term, you know that the benefit is far going to outweigh that instant consequence.
1: Right, and it, but it's all it also comes down to mindset and knowledge too, because it, if I have if I'm starving right now and I have a grilled chicken salad in front of me, and I also have a bowl of, uh, I don't any a bowl of terrible cereal or something, both of those are going to give me the same feeling in the long run. I'm going to be full after I eat one of those. So it's it's a matter of having both of those things in front of you and picking the one, knowing which one's healthier and picking that one, even though you know you would get maybe even more instant gratification off of eating the sugar filled cereal versus eating something that's healthy because you know that in the next half an hour, I'm going to feel the same way.
0: Yes, except I don't know. In the same half or in the in the half hour, feeling the same way, um, you also have to determine if you're going to have any kind of. A, and you know your body. Everybody's different, but are you going to have a crash from that sugar? You may actually feel worse in the long. In the, I'd say intermediate term, the long term to me is you know how is that going to affect like my my weight and my metabolism, my energy levels, you know days and days and days on end.
1: Well, I, uh, I, I guess w- what I mean is like you'll hear um, some bodybuilders or, or people in that field that will say that I don't eat for taste that because right. they know what they're eating. They know yeah. what they should be eating that's healthy and what's going to get them towards their goals. That That's what they're doing. That, that's the kind of the same concept of what I'm saying. Like they know that I can eat a steak or I can eat a bowl of cereal and I'm going to not, – not taking like the crash and things like that into account, just talking about feeling full – Both of these things can get me to that goal of feeling full. One's healthier than the other.
0: Yeah. And and what they're talking about is staying away from emotional eating, though. Yeah, true. My my emotions would be, well, that bowl of cereal really looks good. I know it's going to increase the serotonin levels in my brain for a short time. When I get that little bit of a sugar rush, it's going to satisfy me. But in the long in the long run, that's just an emotional reaction to that food in front of me. Right. What I'm and Scott McNally from Advices Radio, Bodybuilding Nerds Radio, he's he's really, really good and really effective when he explains emotional eating versus goal-oriented eating. He's like, I have goals in mind. And my goal is not to get that short-term uh, satisfaction from a good tasting food. My goal is I want to look like this. I want to be in in tip top shape. And so I'm going to eat this thing that doesn't taste quite so good because I'm not eating for emotion. I'm eating for that goal that I'm trying to achieve. And I think that's an important concept. It's an important mindset to have, you know, and unfortunately coming back to the child rearing parenting, um, oftentimes we just put whatever that is convenient in front of our kids and we teach them that that's the way that you eat because, yeah, I don't have time. I'm busy at work. I've got a podcast to do, so on and so forth. Here, take this. And take al- this and leave me alone.
1: And also the other part that can be terrible is it depends on how you teach your kid as far as eating goes because a lot of times you have a you put a plate full of food in front of your kid and you say you're not leaving this table until you eat all of your food that depends on how you portray that to your kid because that can be a good thing because they know they learn I, I shouldn't waste food, but Mm -hmm. also if they feel like whatever's put in the front of them, they have to eat all of it. That can be an unhealthy habit.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. I I think once again, that, that needs to be projected into how they're going to be able to use those critical thinking skills once they're able to, Once, once they develop into that stage, do I want to eat the rest of this food because I'm still hungry or did I eat all of my, all of my meat and none of my vegetables? And so I think on that note, it's a very good point you bring up. I think on that note, I would say that if the child is full, at least they eat like half and half, half meat, half vegetables. Then if they say they're full, they've gotten a well-rounded uh, nutritional, the, the, the value out of the, out of the meal, as right. opposed to just saying, no, you've got to sit here and eat until this, this plate's clear. Right. You know, I, I think that's, that's an important point because you, what you're doing is you're conditioning that kid later to eat everything off their plate and not consider portion size as part of their overall, uh, nutrition or their overall weight management, uh, being in shape, whatever the case may be. And if you're at a place, say you're out to eat, even, even if it's just a treat, but you eat everything off of your, out of your bag or whatever you're eating off of because it is the way that you're conditioned, then you have a problem. Right. That's Yeah. So once again, projecting, in my opinion, my most humble of opinions, it's not to say that I'm the best of this. Um, it's, it's, it's easier to idealize what a parent should do in order to develop their child's mindset than it actually is to actually do it because you're still dealing with personality of the child. And different other, you know, other variables that are also going to play. Like my son is on the autism spectrum, right? He's very sensitive to the things that he eats, you know, and he, we, I I have tried so hard to sneak in little bitty, I mean, more just minuscule pieces of like broccoli into his macaroni and cheese and things like that. And he can, he, he senses it in his mouth. He feels it. I don't know if he can actually taste it too, maybe, but he will take and he would separate in his mouth and spit out the broccoli. I mean, they were small. (laughs) It took him like two and a half hours to eat that bowl of mac and cheese because he kept separating all the broccoli out. That's what I've got through. That's that's his nature that I have to work with, right? I've got to try to find hacks around that in order to get him to eat healthy. And so we've, you know, we use powders and liquid vitamins and things like that to try to supplement his health because when it comes to his diet, uh, you know, I could sit there and, and make him, I could watch him and make him eat until I won't get up until he's done. He will wear you out every time. It's like if you think <laughs> you can wait him out, good luck with that. So I, I've got to try to work around that pre-existing personality that he's born with, and, and also the variable of, of being on the spectrum. I've got to work around that to try to, to try to get him to eat the best way possible. And of course, his critical thinking skills are going to be a little bit altered, I'm sure, when he does hit that personal st- that that developmental stage of his. Um, versus my daughter. You know, she, it's a matter of, uh, she's to the point now where I can, I can really start to get through to her as to the benefit of why you should do this particular healthy habit. And I'm trying to develop both sides of that. If you just eat this, this is what's going to happen. Like right now, yeah, you're skinny and you're going to probably stay skinny for a long time. There's going to be a time where you're going to get fat if you keep eating that way. Right. And if if you eat this way, then you're going to be more likely to stay healthy. You're going to feel better. You're not gonna get hurt as much, and you're not also gonna gain so much weight. Right. So just trying to offer those those both kind of sides of the spectrum to give her the the ability, not just to say, you have to eat this way because I said so. Because I because I told you so. I don't know about how you grew up, but if that were ever the case where it was just because I told you so, that I, I stored that mentally. That was in in, in my catalog, my rebellious catalog. So, okay, right, put, when I get push, when, I, when I get the chance, I'm doing exactly the opposite. Right,
1: yeah, it pushes you away from it because you were told I told you so. You got to, yeah, got to yeah. rebel. I get it.
0: <laughs> so trying to stay away from the extremes in, in nature versus nurture. Do you lean toward one side or the other as far as nature versus nurture goes?
1: I don't think so. I think I'm kind of in, in the middle um, as far as what I've learned on my own versus what I was taught growing up. Um Yeah. I, I can't I can't say that I'm more one way than the other. I mean, of course I was taught a lot of good lessons from my parents growing up, but I've also learned a lot of things on my own as well.
0: Hmm. So can you can you categorize your nature? What if there's one defining natural characteristic of cult, what would you say that is? I mean and, and for examples, you know, are, are you are you more curious? Are you more skeptical? Are you more, um, you know, scientific? Loosely, um, are you more industrious? What, what would you can, say that you're finding?
1: Can I say work ethic? Does that make sense um, in what you're trying to? What the question you're asking? I,
0: I would say I, I would say that falls into a, a larger category, maybe, or a, a broader category, maybe is the better word to put there. Um, so c- committed. Maybe. Okay. Well, I, um, I, I say
1: that because like, so growing up, my dad, my parents, both of them worked their butt off, you know, uh-huh. gro- growing up, but I didn't really see that because they were at their jobs.
0: Okay.
1: So, but I learned on my own through having my own jobs, work ethic. And so, yeah, that, that's that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from.
0: Okay. Yeah. And you could say whatever you want. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> This is a, it was a pretty general question. So you can, you can characterize yourself however you want. Um, I, you know, if, if I were in a different period of, of time, a different period, like say when you had to be more present in everyday moment in order to survive, let's, let's just, let's just go back for the sake of conversation to the caveman days. Like you always had to be on your toes. Um, you couldn't be in your head you had to be looking for the, the saber-toothed tiger or the, the snake or uh, looking for dry wood to start a fire, whatever the case may be. You had to always be working to do something in order to stay alive. Uh, my uh, lineage would have died out a long time ago. Right. And The reason I say that is because I'm, a, I'm an analyzer of things, and it's safe to say I overanalyze just about everything in my life. To the extent to where – I mean, there, there's utility to that. I use it to my advantage. It's why I work in the field that I do because I, I analyze others, which is easier on me because I come to um, not conclusions uh, deterministically, but conclusions that lead me to the next step, lead me to the next path, the the next technique, the next intervention.
1: Right.
0: And, and, and that's functional. Uh, it's a little more difficult when – it's just specific to me uh, and, and my situation uh, because we're always the hardest critics on ourselves and things like that. But just by nature, I'm an overanalyzer and, and I've, I've unconditioned myself in that sense to a large degree because there are times where I have to be on my toes, where I have to be more um, actionable. I have to be action oriented to where I can't sit there and, and, and watch someone maybe banging their head against the wall because they're having some kind of a, a break. I can't sit there and think, Hmm, I wonder if they're upset about this or that, or I wonder if they they can't be hitting a stud. No, I've got to act. I've got to jump in there and, and, and help them to stop doing what they're doing for their own safety and for the safety of others sometimes. Right. And and so I've had to, I've had to uncondition that natural component of myself of just being an overanalyzer. But I think it is a natural component of, of James, because when I look back, I don't remember a time where I didn't analyze things. I don't remember a time where that wasn't a part of me, you know? And so I think it's just the way that my brain is wired. I remember having dreams as a very young child and crazy dreams, a lot of them, but I would still, I'd wake up and those dreams would stick with me and I would kind of unpack them and break them, break them apart. Um, I'm not so much into the, like the Jungian archetypal dream analysis where, you know, this particular thing is a symbol. Like if you see a unicorn Jumping across a rainbow in your dream. Well, that means you're sexually repressed, or whatever, you know. Um, I, I, but I do believe in analyzing dreams, which are mostly based around anxiety, and and some some wish fulfillment. Um, but I do believe in analyzing those dreams, breaking them apart, and seeing what it is that caused that person. If you look at the big picture, not just the dream, but the person as a whole inject the dream into that and you kind of get an idea about what that person is thinking you know what what that what that dream was about um having i've always done that i've always done that for myself that's where i started was analyzing my own dreams and so that that would be my natural state i think is analyzer
1: gotcha well uh one downfall of doing back-to-back episodes is that i'm recording from my phone and i'm going to die soon Okay, so we're almost at an hour on the second episode, anyways, because you wouldn't stop
0: talking. So I know, I know. (laughs) I think it's fine. I I think we close it out here. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, good stuff. And we're gonna keep the topics coming. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that thought experiment, though. So be thinking about that.
1: Okay.
0: Thinking about the nature of reality versus the prospect of injecting oneself into the matrix, and which would you choose, and why? And on that note. I bid you adieu, my friend. All right. All right. We are out. We want to say thank you again to you, that's you, the CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth is like a Q-tip to our wet ears when we just get out of the shower. So don't forget to tell your friends and family about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Please subscribe to our network on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume the podcast that you hold near and dear to your heart so that you can keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Also, on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, it would help us immensely if you would give us a five-star rating while you're there to show your love for the CEP. And speaking of love, we love it when you give us all of your love on the socials when you do, in fact, give us all of your love on the socials. So be sure to give us your love on the socials. and. Be sure to visit the Launching Pad for all things Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And, of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Don't forget about our official CEP merch at buyjack.com slash CEP. And that's all I've got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours nice and warm out there. See ya.